Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. For the past two weeks, we've been looking at the position of the pastor. Our one-week message is now in week three. Lord willing, it'll end today, and we'll move forward. We noted that the church is being in the ministry. And we're to hear in first high standard for this position. And Paul covers this standard in this text here in 1 Timothy 3. And here, Scripture presents very clearly the qualifications for pastoring. 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If one aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may became, become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. We noted that this text divides the answer to the question, what is a pastor to be, into two parts. The pastor's noble calling and the pastor's vital qualifications. We looked at the first week, the pastor's noble calling, verse 1. We noted but the primary reason the church in America is failing is due directly to the belief that just anyone can serve as a pastor. Some see it as something a person does when uh, they can do nothing else. Let them try that. A man should never enter the office of a pastor if he's not been called by God. If he does, the result will always be disaster. And so this section begins with the second of Paul's trustworthy statements in 1 Timothy if anyone aspires to the office of a pastor, he desires a noble task. And we learn from this statement three aspects to this noble call. It is a compelling call. It is a responsible call. And it is a worthy call. When we consider the pastor, we need to question whether he is called of God to the ministry. But if he desires to be a pastor and he wants to do it, does that alone qualify a man to serve? Well, many Churches have fallen into that trap. But we see in the second section that, that Scripture clearly teaches otherwise. And so we began to look at the, the pastor's vital qualification. The section begins with that word, therefore, because it is a noble calling, it requires certain qualifications. It's not just a hobby for somebody to have, not something for somebody just to try. It's noble and so... They have to fulfill certain aspects. We see as well that he says, therefore, an overseer must fulfill these things. It's necessary. These are non-negotiable things. If a man does not fulfill these qualifications, God is not calling him to ministry. So what are these qualifications? He says, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert 
or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. Now, there are a lot of ways to divide up all of these qualifications. We chose for our purposes to divide them up into three sections. The first of these sections was the qualifications of character. This would be the end of verse 2 and verse 3. You'll note that every one of these qualities in this list, with the exception of teaching, are qualifications or character qualities that every Christian should strive for. They're something all of us should fulfill. They're not something reserved for some super Christian leading the church, but rather he leads the church because he exemplifies what it is to be a mature Christian who fulfills what it looks like. And so as we work through the list, don't see these as something for someone else, but this is also a list for you to seek to fulfill. We saw first the qualifications of character that the pastor is to be above reproach. This qualification sets the tone for all the ones that follow. Some see this really that the rest of these fulfill this qualification. It means not easily taken hold of, not easily accused of something. It means not only that he hasn't been accused of ongoing unrepentant sin, but also that any accusation would be seen really as, as kind of crazy, unbelievable. His reputation is such that it's evident he walks with God. And we must hold high expectation for those who stand behind the sacred desk and those who pastor the church. But as Christians, we should all live our lives above reproach. We should all seek to have short sin accounts, seek to live lives that are free from sin. We're called to be holy. The second character qualification is that the pastor must be a one-woman man, the husband of one wife. And there are four primary ways to view that statement. We looked at those four and we concluded that this is not referring to a pastor's marital status, but rather to his moral sexual behavior. In other words, all marital sins disqualify a man from being a pastor. He must be a man of unquestioned morality who is entirely true and faithful to his one and only wife. An untarnished reputation in this area. And this is, should be true of all men. And we're husbands, we are called in Ephesians 5 to love our wives as Christ loves the church. We're to love her in a pure and upright way. Husbands, we're reminded that you're to serve her, to be faithful to her, to love her, be known as a one-woman man, not a flirt, not a Casanova, but faithful. Date her, serve her, protect her, love her, care for her. We ought to seek to be above reproach in this area of our faithfulness to our wife. The next area of qualification of character was that the pastor must be sober-minded. Another way we could put this is he must be clear-headed. This refers to the way he thinks. His mind is occupied with deep things. He's not distracted by superficial, silly, or temporal things. One man said it this way, The prudent man is a well-disciplined man and knows how to correctly order his priorities. He's a person who's serious about spiritual things. It doesn't mean he's cold and humorless, but he views the world through God's eyes. This is how all of us should be. Christians should be sober-minded. We ought not to be silly people, living for the weekend, not wasting our lives on toys and ease. 
We ought to be sober, thinking deeply about the things of God. We ought to be faithful to the word of God. We ought to be like the Bereans who search the scripture for truth. The church should be known for being sober-minded. The pastor is to lead the way in this. Next, the pastor ought to be self-controlled. Practice self-mastery. means not just that he thinks deeply, but that he is a man with control over his mind. He's, he's not swayed by passions or emotions. He's not given to sudden urges or impulses. He does not respond quickly, but has mastered his attitude and thought. He's not swayed by human pressure, or conspiracy theories, or cultural circumstances, but rather he's anchored to the word. He's mastery over his thoughts and feelings. And again, it's a call for all Christians to follow. Too many Christians are marked by foolish, impulsive, foolish arguments and actions. They're controlled by politics and party and feeling and emotion and flesh rather than by self-mastery through the word. They're driven by emotional pragmatism and desires rather than scriptural principles and godliness. We ought to be marked by discipline, not by foolishness. Next, the pastor must be respectable. We saw that this trait builds on the last. A disciplined mind leads to a disciplined life. It implies a well-ordered demeanor. Really, this word is the opposite of chaos in its core. The pastor ought to be a man who lives a well-ordered and disciplined life. This means he's a man who doesn't need a manager constantly overseeing him and making sure he's doing his job, doing what he's called to do. Homer Kent said this, The ministry is no place for a man whose life is a continual confusion of unaccomplished plans and unorganized activity. Again, this is not just a trait for a pastor. We are all called to work. We are all called to work hard and to be orderly. The pastor is also to be hospitable. It means literally to keep an open house, a lover of strangers. The pastor is called to shepherd and disciple, and that necessitates an open heart and an open house. He needs to labor to engage with individuals, ready to inter- interact with his flock. It means his door is always open. And again, this should be true of all of us. We are called to love one another, to care for one another. The weakness we mentioned of this culture is that we tend to be very closed, very private people. If someone knocks at the door and our first thought often is... Why are you here? Go away. Rather than being open-minded and welcoming with open arms. So I challenged you. How'd you do? How'd you do this week? Did you call someone else in the flock? Did you spend time with someone else this week? Or did we fall into that trap again of being very private, busy? I encourage you again this week. Call someone else in the body. For no reason than just to talk to them. Invite them over for dinner or go to dinner with them. You have to go to Indiana for that, but you can do it. Spend time with one another. Be hospitable. Now we move into new territory. Next, the pastor must be gifted in teaching. This trait is the only of these traits that is an ability that needs to be innate in the man. And it's 
further, the only trait that's not expected of all believers. Not all believers are expected to be gifted in teaching. It says that the pastor must be able to teach. Now, sometimes we read that word able. It's a little bit um, uh, kind of camouflaged in the way it's been translated in English. We read that word able into our modern use of the word able, and we just think it's just someone who, you know, can kind of get it done. Sure, he's able to do that. Why not? But rather, this word doesn't just mean that he can kind of do it. It actually means that he is skillful in doing it. Many times I've heard well-meaning Christians say, well, my pastor, you know, he's not a great preacher. But boy, he's, he's just a good pastor. Well, let me be blunt. If a man is not gifted in teaching, if he is not gifted in preaching, he is not gifted in pastoring. The pastor must be skillful in teaching. Well, why is that the case? Why would Paul say this? To preach and teach God's word is the primary task of the pastor. It was for this purpose that they were given to the church. Ephesians 4, that God gave apostles and prophets. But then he says, pastor, teachers. This is their primary function. 2 Timothy 2.24 And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, skillful in teaching. 1 Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 2 Timothy 2.15 Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. In Titus 1.9, the parallel passage to our text today, it says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, in his final charge to Timothy, Paul said this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant, be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You see, this text is clear. A pastor must be a highly skilled teacher who works hard in his studies and proclamations. This is a gift that is innate, but also that can be built. He ought to labor to get better at it, to grow and improve in it. Because if a man can't preach, he cannot pastor. Because of the history of this church, there's something that I must be very clear on. This verse here in 1 Timothy 3, and the other texts that I've just referenced throughout 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, clearly teach that a pastor must be diligent in his own study and skillful in delivering what he has learned. This means that a man who would steal other men's messages has disqualified himself from ministry. A man who cannot present himself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, and cannot then preach the word, 
and cannot pastor. One commentator said this, any man who shows himself incapable of successfully teaching others is not qualified to be a pastor. John Stott said this, the fact that overseers must have a teaching gift shows that the church has no liberty to ordain any whom God has not called and gifted. Here's what we're saying. Don't settle for shoddy, lazy, or poor preaching. It means you have a responsibility to hold me to that standard. We must seek to become better preachers. We must be skillful in preaching. The church does no favors to the man or the church when they elevate a man to ministry who cannot preach his way out of a paper bag. He must be skillful in preaching. Next, we see then in the next several traits, Paul moves from positive traits, what a man is to be, to negative traits, what he's not to be. This is the first of these, that the pastor is not to be a drunkard. Not a drunkard. It means exactly what it sounds like. Not a slave of drink. No man can serve two masters. If a man is a slave to drinking, he's not the slave of Christ. If he's given himself to drink, he cannot give himself to ministry. But again, God desires this of all Christians. We're reminded of Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit. So he's not to be a drunkard. Next, the pastor is not to be violent, but gentle. The word violent means literally a giver of blows. This, means to a, this is referring to a man who is always ready to fight. At the drop of a hat, he's ready to go. He's known for swinging his fists and brawling. How can one share the gospel in that way? Riding the ambulance with them to the ER, sharing the gospel after they just beat the tar out of them? No, of course not. Rather, he is supposed to be gentle. One man said, a gentle pastor will be neither violent, a bully with the tongue or the hand, nor quarrelsome. His patience must be sorely trained by demanding and aggravating people. But like his master, he will seek to be gentle, never crushing a bruised reed, Or sniffing out a wick that is burning low. Again, this lines with what Christ informs us in John 13.35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. He's not to be a striker. Not to be a, a, a brawler. But to be known for gentleness. To respond with patience to people. The next lines up with that. He's not to be quarrelsome. Not only should he not fight with his fists, he also shouldn't be looking for fights. Not contentious. He shouldn't be someone who's always arguing, known as a contentious person. He should be known as a reasonable person. Paul's going to remind Timothy of this again later in 2 Timothy 2.24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. You know, if a man is always fighting... If he's always contentious, looking for an argument, if he's mean-spirited, he's not called to ministry. A pastor should be known as a kind man, someone who listens and learns. Again, though, this is something God calls all of us to. We think of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.32, we learned it as children. Be kind 
one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I'm often saying to my children what I hear from my parents. Yes, I've turned into my parents. Was that kind? Be kind. We all say that to ourselves often. Was that a kind thing to say or do? I need to be kind. Finally, the pastor is not to be a lover of money. The ministry is not a place for a man who serves in order to get rich. Well, Scripture teaches that it's right for a church to care for their pastor. It's not to be a man in love with money. This was the problem with the priests at the end of the age of Israel. In Micah 3, God takes them to task. He says in Micah 3.11, Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. And God says, This is wicked. Christ speaks directly to this in Matthew 6.24 when he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. A man who is to be the servant of God cannot also be the servant of money. Because Christ tells us just a few verses earlier in Matthew 6.21, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If a man seeks this world's treasure, then he's not seeking the earthly, he's not seeking the heavenly kingdom. He's not seeking eternity. His mind is set on the here and now. His life is focused on the temporal. As a servant of the kingdom, his life must be about the kingdom. Paul relates him to a soldier in 2 Timothy 2 4. He says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The pastor is to be about the kingdom, not about this world. Yet, this is also the call to all believers. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, and I quoted part of it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. What is it you're pursuing with your life? What is it that you desire more than anything else? Is it a thing? Is it money? Or is it God? His ministry? His kingdom? Don't be a lover of money. These are the qualifications of character. Without these, the man cannot serve as a pastor. If a man does not fulfill these qualifications, then he is not qualified to be, to be a pastor. He is not called of God to be a pastor. These character qualifications are the measuring stick by which God's people agree whether or not a man is called. The church considers whether to call the man as a pastor and confirm God's call in his life. They have to look at this list and compare the man's life to that list. And if with any of them, if they say, yeah, no, then he's not called of God. They look at these requirements. They look at the man. They see if they match. But these qualifications don't stop at qualifications of character. 
There's two other categories of qualifications we must look at. The pastor must exemplify the listed qualifications of character, but he must also exemplify qualifications of home life. Verse 4, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? says the man must manage his household well. The word manage means to rule over, to stand before. The pastor must manage, control, rule over his house in an excellent way. And the household includes not just his family, but also his holdings and his finances. He needs to manage with excellence everything that God has entrusted to him. Means that a man who cannot manage and handle his finances is not called or qualified to be a pastor. A man who practices poor stewardship with his finances is not called to be a pastor. Frankly, a church is wise to run a credit check on any pastor they would place into leadership. Because if a man cannot handle his own own finances, how is he supposed to lead the church in the handling of God's finances? man cannot handle his own finances, how can he lead God's people in the biblical stewardship of their finances? He cannot lead where he has not been. Household would also refer to a pastor's house. If he can't take care of his earthly holdings, how can he take care of eternal holdings that God has trusted to him? A man who will not labor to keep his house in order will not labor to keep God's house in order. And Paul mentions the clearest picture of the pastor's management of his household. It's seen in the way that he leads his family. It says, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. The word dignity is the idea of sternness with respect. A man whose children are undisciplined and ungodly is not qualified for ministry. Now, it is sure that some children rebel in spite of, of the best biblical efforts of their parents. We, we know what that looked like. But it is equally sure that some children rebel because of their parents. We see it coming. That man is not qualified for ministry. If you look at a man and can, believe, can believably say after observing his interaction with his children that those children will turn out poorly, that man has no place in ministry. A man who cannot discipline his children cannot disciple the church. The man said the lack of proper management of home life disqualifies the person from leadership in the church. So it would be wise to look at his home life. Look at how he interacts with his family. Look how he handles his finances. Look how he handles his home, his cars. Look at how he interacts with his children. Finally, there are some qualifications of spiritual maturity. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. In this section, we find two more qualifications which refer to a man's spiritual maturity. First, we see that the pastor must not be a new convert. says in verse 6, he must not be recently converted or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Regardless of his ability, if he is a new convert or spiritually immature, 
He must not be placed into ministry. This word recent convert actually refers to a, a newly planted tree. These men lean on their own abilities rather than on the Spirit of God. And it leads to arrogance. It leads to deceit. The same sin which led to Satan's condemnation. Arrogance. Because they lean on their own abilities rather than on the Spirit of God, they begin to pass judgment on others for their lack of ability. They begin to look down on others. They begin to bind heavy burdens on others. They build personality cults instead of the church being an outpost of the kingdom. Placing an immature Christian into leadership will always result in disaster. So when considering leadership, the church must look at the man's spiritual maturity. They, they must inquire about his salvation. They must investigate his spiritual growth. As we'll see later in 1 Timothy, when a church fails to practice this, they're held accountable for their own error. 1 Timothy 5.22 Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. When you hastily elevate a man into that position, you are responsible for his sins. Second, the man must be a man of good reputation. Verse 7 Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. These men must be men who have a reputation among their neighbors and community for righteousness, fairness, godliness, love, and kindness. Too many pastors are despised in their community, not because they're standing for truth, but because they're men of poor character. Their lives are to be a positive testimony of the gospel to a watching world. Now, this is not so that the world determines who the church chooses as a pastor. Rather, how can someone serve God with a bad reputation? Paul concludes that the man who falls in, in this is a disgrace and falls into the trap laid by the devil. The devil loves nothing more than to discredit the gospel and the church. When a man leads the church, but he's a stinker in the community, he mars the reputation of Christ. He mars the reputation of Christ's church. And he mars the reputation of the gospel. How can one lead the church while acting against the church in this way? If a man has a poor testimony in the community, he's not qualified to be a pastor. Say, so these are really high standards. These are really lofty goals. And the answer is yes. We ought to hold men who stand behind this desk to this standard. See, the church in America is in a dangerous place. It's been weakened through generations of leadership who are not qualified to lead. They have poor character. They can't teach the Bible. They don't prioritize the preaching of the word in its context. They've mishandled the word. Their home life is in shambles. Their finances are a mess and they're spiritually immature. We ought to expect much of our pastors. We ought to hold them to high standards. These standards laid out in the word of God. Just because someone wants to be a pastor doesn't mean that they should. 
Those who hold to the belief that the pastor must meet these standards should not be looked down on as divisive and mean. They're just trying to divide the church and they don't like that person. No, they're holding the standard of truth. They're standard bearers of the word. These are the standards to which I must attain. Yet, as we look at them, we saw that these are standards for which we should all strive. The pastor is to be the example of the Christian life. The Christian is to live the Christian life. So let's obey God's word. Let's be examples to a lost and dying world of the gospel of Christ. So expect much of leadership. Don't settle. Pastoring is a privilege. We ought to make it such. We ought not make it a commonplace occupation for some poor sap who can't do anything else. We must be willing to, to say to some that God's not calling them to ministry at this time because they don't meet the biblical qualifications. To do so is loving, not judgmental. So let's live for God and for his kingdom. Let's seek to fulfill these qualifications in our own life. Let's be a church that is a lighthouse of the gospel of Christ that serves his kingdom above all things. Father, we thank you that you have not left us without instruction, that you have given us indications of how we are to structure the church that we might worship you rightly. Help us to be obedient to your word, to love it above all things, to be faithful to it even when we don't necessarily like it that in all things you might be made to look as good as you really are. And we ask, Lord, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen.